Hey there, all you creeps out there. It's time for another episode of the show. Dr. Ranch is back here with me. And we're going to tackle the first two issues of the last storyline in Night Force. This is a four-issue uh, storyline that's going to take us to the end after the uh, book got cancelled, sadly. Uh, some really fun stuff in here as well. You know, these last four issues, they're kind of a, a return to... Uh, what the book had been before it uh, diverged on that little three-issue <laughs> really wild storyline. But uh, yeah, some return to some really good material here. Really fun stuff and kind of sad to see it uh, winding down here. But we're going to do our best with these uh, last two issues. And uh, I shouldn't say last two issues, last four issues. And, uh, you know, we're going to try to take you out in a grand style here. So get ready because after the break, we're going to jump right in. What do you think is the, the major appeal of horror? Why are we drawn to it? Principally, I suppose, escapism, because it's utterly unlike our real lives, which I suppose today are inclined to be perhaps humdrum. I think that this particular kind of film gives you a jolt, an emotional jolt. You can help you to blow off steam, an emotional safety valve. But principally, escapism into a world of fantasy and unreality and the weird, which I think we harbour within all of us a basic, perhaps subconscious love for things that we don't understand and don't know. I think if a person is already unbalanced or has perverted habits or thoughts, perhaps this might, on occasions, push them over the edge slightly. Otherwise, I think it's just a question of the audience going to be entertained and they enjoy it. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. And I am here with my partner in crime, Dr. Ange, and we are coming back to covering the last two, uh, I shouldn't say two, four issues covering the last uh, storyline here in Night Force. So how have you been, man? I've been real good, and I've been, I have to tell you, um, having read these two issues, I haven't read ahead. Um, I've been quite eager to talk about them. Yeah, we're going to be uh, covering 11 and 12 here. And yeah, we, uh, you know, we left off after the, uh, I think the the latter half of issue eight and then uh, issues nine and 10 had a, a kind of a weird story that uh, I don't want to say it didn't fit in Night Force, but it kind of didn't. It was, it was kind of its own weird story about, uh, you know, uh, more uh, like a morality play and uh, an alien creature, but I don't know if it was real or I, I don't know what to think of that storyline, but <laughs> we got through that one. And now we're on to uh, the last storyline that's going to take us out for the end of the book here. Uh, Mark of the Beast, right? Yeah. And I think this one definitely feels much more like the first story, which I think is much more what this book should have felt like all along. Yep. I totally agree. Yeah. This one was more of, you know, uh, the Baron and he needs uh, some agents to help him accomplish something maybe on a smaller scale not as grand of a scale traveling all around the earth uh, like the first storyline but uh, still still pretty uh, pretty on the nose uh, compared to or at least I shouldn't say compared to pretty on the nose uh, with the first story there I think it's he got right back in a groove here Marv agreed so yeah let's let's jump right in here this is night force number 11 and it's cover dated June 1983 and uh, we have a cover by Gene Colan and Bob Smith now this is uh, one of my favorites of the series what do you think of this one yeah you know this is where um, 
I'm going to tell you that I have a theory. Uh, so, you know, it shows the Baron and Vanessa. I'm always glad to see Vanessa back in, in the story. And then they look like they're cowering and there seems to be a shadow of somebody like looming in at them. But boy, if that shadow shape doesn't look like the Baron's. And and so I'll, I'll talk <laughs> a little bit more about um, my theory again, having not read ahead. So this is all a surprise to me. But but I think it's great. She clearly looks like she's afraid of whatever she's seeing. He's kind of stealing against her, trying to, um, you know, be brave. And then there's this like shadow with eyes missing that that looks pretty ominous. And I even think the color, you know, it's brown and yellow mostly, which you wouldn't think would work. But I think it works here. I do, too. I think it's great. I really like this cover. And I'll tell you something, too. This is kind of funny because, you know, we can say right now this had absolutely nothing to do with the story. Uh, we're about to talk about or any night for a story. But <clears throat> when I first saw this cover, I was just like, oh, my gosh, it looks like Dracula. there, like, you know, uh, uh, looming over them. And they he has mentioned the name Dracula a couple of times with, you know, in relation to uh, Vanessa Van Helsing here. So I thought it was possible. But uh, no. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it was sort of, you know, this is uh, like a couple of years before Crisis on Infinite Earths. But if you remember in Crisis on Infinite Earths, there were shadow demons. That mm. have the same shape as the monitor. At one point, somebody's like, "Did you notice that they look like the monitor?" Like at some point, they were actually, you know, wondering, "Is the monitor the bad guy?" And so this, I was sort of saying, "Is that the Baron's shadow? That light is shining on him, and this is his shadow behind him, or is this something in front of them that they're facing?" Because um, the shape of it just looked too interesting to me. Yeah, I actually did uh, recently read um, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and I think fourteen as well. And I think I'm going to uh, <clears throat> come into agreement with you when you talk about things. You know, maybe the Baron's his own worst enemy here. <laughs> gotcha. Cool. <laughs> so, all right. Well, yeah, that's a good cover there. Like I said, really, really like that one. And you said the color choices are interesting, but I think they really work here. And then Vanessa's purple uh, outfit there really sets it off. Yeah, that's like sort of the one color outside of brown and, and yellow. Uh, and so it does sort of set her apart. And, and, you know, I mean, we talk about how awesome Gene Colin is throughout this whole thing. She looks terrified, right? I mean, that's a mm -hmm. really good look on her face. Yeah, yeah, she looks extremely scared. And like you said, the Baron does not look scared. He's kind of looking at whatever is in front of them like, hmm, like, oh, oh, it's you again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's uh, jump in here. So Mark of the Beast, Chapter 1, Passages. Uh, script Marv Wolfman, Pencils, Gene Colan, Inks Bob Smith. Uh, colors Michelle Wolfman and then uh, letters by Todd Klein and this is uh, uh, Thomas and Harriet Carter by a house but it is haunted they go to the Baron for help and the Baron and Vanessa then go to 1933 to investigate so that's uh, kind of the skinny here but uh, let's take a peek inside this first page here what do you think of this uh, opening splash page here this is an interesting way to start this one yeah you know um, uh, I love their sort of um uh, an oddly shaped panel that shows what looks to be a mansion right on a cliff. And then we're told that this is Maine 1934. And then we see inside and it's a bunch of guys like raising a toast. But there is nothing more gothic, right, than a mansion mm -hmm. right on a cliff, the full moon behind it. You know, um, it, I think it really starts to set the stage. Like who would want to live there, right? You take a long step, <laughs> you dead. So, um, uh, so I think it's a great way to start because um, uh, it just jumps you right in. And again, it's in the past. We know that he can travel in and out of the past. So um, so I think already this feels different than 
um, an apartment building in New York where there's Cthulhu, right? We're back yeah. to the Baron, like, and him, uh, you know, slipping through time. Yeah, and intrigue and all. It's very, yeah, very dark shadows, uh, the uh, cliffside yeah. <laughs> mansion here. But, yeah, we uh, we realize very quickly that, you know, these guys have some uh, ties to Nazis. And that was interesting. I thought to myself, huh, I didn't think they were going to go down that route with the uh, you know, night force, especially based on the, the first story where it was, you know, the commies, they yeah. were, you know, <laughs> fighting with them. But yeah, this was really interesting. I, I do like, uh, you know, how they get right into it here. And, you know, we're thinking, uh, you know, these guys are having some certain business dealings with the Nazi party. And again, it's 1934. So it's, you know, pre-World War II, but, you know, Hitler's already on the rise over there, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, a good, uh, good beginning here to this one, but a bunch of Nazis come in with uh, machine guns and just gun these guys down, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because they start out by saying, you know, they're backing Hitler, right? So they're like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, he, we might not agree with him. He's kind of like a gross little guy, but he'll serve his purpose. And then, and then Nazis come in, and I mean, page three, it's just guys getting blown away with machine guns by guys wearing Nazi armbands. And so you're like, wait, I thought that they were supporting Hitler, but now they're being killed by Nazi agents. So already there's like a little bit of intrigue and, and mystery about everything that's going on. Yeah, that third page is pretty graphic. You see one guy getting shot right in the head and the chest. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> it's Especially, pretty wild. Yeah, for a comic from 1983. Not bad. And then the, yeah. the poor the poor butler here. Police, police, come, come, come quick. He's on the phone and wow, they put one right through his skull. Holy yeah. smokes. It's, it's crazy. And the one guy says, they are dead. And he says, but the local authorities have come. Nobody is to know we have been here. So they take the bodies. At first, I thought they took the bodies and chucked them off yeah. uh, the cliff. But they don't. They kill themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I, again, we, we see the setup in that first page. This is right on a very steep, big cliff. And Boy, you know, like this whole first scene is very gross because you see that these guys, even though they pitched themselves out the window, they like hit the cliff a couple of times on the way down. <laughs> so they sort of like pinwheel their way into the I mean, that's a bad way to go. <laughs> yeah, there's no way they're surviving that because if the uh, getting smashed against the rocks doesn't kill you, it's going to injure you enough that yeah. when you hit the water, you're going to drown because you're not going to be able to swim away or whatever. But again, they were trying to commit suicide. But yeah, that's that's pretty wild. <laughs> The yeah. cops come in and they can't figure it out. Uh, you know, it's like, what's going on here? And the cop says, there's something strange about this, but I just don't know what it is. And, uh, you know, then we switch to uh, Berlin here. And that's an interesting uh, scene, right? Yeah, because now, I, I, again, you know, uh, this is maybe Marv did his homework, just like we had learned about all those Russian parapsychologists in the first storyline. But it's Hitler asleep and he's haunted by the ghosts of those guys that just got gunned down. It's really mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah, and the one word balloon, Hitler, wake up, you dolt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, they're like, we would have helped you rule the world, but since you killed us, you know, nothing, you will you will not, you know, achieve your goals. You will die. Um, so, uh, so, you know, I guess that's good in a way. <laughs> yeah, and then page six. Wow, how about that? Hitler, you know, freaking out in his dream here at the top with that dream sequence, yeah. and then right back to the mansion there. But this time it's 1983 instead of, you know, 1934, I guess it was originally. Yeah. Wow. That is a great page by Gene and uh, Bob Smith. Yeah, just beautiful. Mm, incredible. And then we see uh, these uh, two people here, Thomas and Harriet, that have uh, 
I'm not sure if they bought or inherited this house, but uh, they're in the house and they're being accosted by ghosts. And I guess we could assume, again, it's these ghosts that of the men that were gunned down in this house. Yeah. Um, uh, they're like, it's been so terribly long, you know, life to inhabit and control. So it does feel like the evil businessmen that were gunned down, they're even dressed in suits. So, you know, it's a good way to tie it in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know what their, their plan is here. It's, the one just says, come to me, girl, come to me now. And we see him kind of grab her on page eight and it doesn't look like he's trying to kill her. Although she has a knife and she's trying to stab him, but it almost looks like he's trying to like, you know, assault her, like sexually assault her maybe. Yeah. It's very strange because they do say on that first page, this is like lives to inhabit lives to control. So I was like, Oh, is he trying to like enter her the way like dead man enters something? Right. But then you're right. Yeah. But then you're right. He's like, looks like he's trying to kiss her. And I was like, yeah. oh, is he like, is he like trying to like, I don't know, like go through her mouth to to take over her body? But but it it does seem rather violent in that sort of way. Yeah, it is kind of wild. And then, you know, you go to that next page and she's looking up at the ghost and it's nothing but a skull there. Man, that is a really creepy panel. And, uh, and then she faints. And then the, the guy, Thomas, he's like, my God, Harry, no, you can't go to her. She's ours. She will be all ours. And, you know, they, they hit him over the head here. But he's like kind of like zapping him in the head with some kind of like, I don't know what kind of power it is he's hitting him with. I mean, it just says the hand reeks of sulfur and brimstone as it cradles Thomas Carter's face in its burning palm. Carter will scream and then faint. And when he awakens, he will find things are gone. But their sign will still be there. Their presence be felt. Their existence still be part of him. So some uh, really uh, heavy dialogue here by Marv. Yeah, and of course we'll see what that sign of the beast is in a few pages. But uh, but it is interesting that they could physically assault him in a way. It looks like they could not assault her. Yeah, they were grabbing at her and everything like that, but nothing really was happening as far as like this. Like I don't know if you want to call it a burning effect or what you want to yeah. call it. It looks it looks pretty creepy. But yeah, he's going to be in rough shape after this. But <laughs> oh, here we here we go. We switch to uh, uh, the uh, lovely household of. Uh, the cleavers here. Well, maybe yeah. not the maybe not the cleavers, but uh, Jack and his uh, soon-to-be wife Vanessa, or or did they get married at this point? No, they're not. Did they I get think married? they're married. I think they're. Oh married. yeah. Well, yeah. I think they did get married already since we saw them last. And uh, you know, we see Jack who's just puffing away on the cigarettes and just he's not uh, loving married life here. But Vanessa is. It's kind of funny the the dichotomy here of <laughs> how they both act towards each other, but how then he feels like in secret, right? Yeah, right. We learned at the end of the first storyline that he thinks if she gets upset, she'll summon demons again. And so he like has to pretend that everything is perfect. And, you know, at one point he's like, does she always have to be so damned cheerful, right? Like she's just, everything is sunny and he has to play along with it. It's gotta be a, it's gotta be a rough existence. Yeah, I don't know if he's, at first I'm thinking to myself, he's never gonna make it. Um, yeah, but towards, you know, the, the latter parts of these two issues and then the next two, it seems like he does start to kind of come around to the idea. And I'm thinking to myself, well, Jack, I wouldn't want my wife to be able to summon demons to rip me to shreds. Yeah. But on the other hand, she's way better looking and way nicer of a person than you, too. So maybe you should just roll with it, dude. Right. And I think she's got to have 20 she right he's got to have 20 years on her he he's lived a rough life he already has an ex-wife and kids we learned she just turned 21 in the first storyline so uh so i agree like um he's got a lot and and she seems 
you know, genuinely very nice. So <laughs> maybe he should enjoy it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, I'm like 40 years old or pushing it. And some 21 year olds like, oh, you're the best. You're the greatest. I love yeah, you. Let's yeah. get married. I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should just jump at this chance. Right. <laughs> 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 but yeah, she gets a uh, phone call here and it's the Baron. And uh, he's, uh, you know, letting her know like, oh, we need to uh, talk. Uh, and there's a, a, a dangerous mission and this and that. And uh, the, then she's going to uh, go see him. And we do switch over to the Baron's uh, place here and uh harriet and uh her husband i think it was matthew i think it was Tom. are at the house oh i'm sorry yeah thomas and harriet they are at the house and thomas is all bandaged up and we see what happened when that uh ghost or demon or whatever touched him right yeah it's interesting the first thing i have to say is so he looks like the negative man right he's completely <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and he says, you know, the house was sealed up by the government since the 1930s. So the government knew something was weird about this place, um, but they bought it anyways. And then you see what they did. He takes off the bandages. He, the, you know, the number 666 are branded on his forehead. It looks like he suffered a stroke or maybe like half of his face is melting because one eye seems like a little bit off than the other. Um, yeah. And he says... He can't even put makeup on. Anything that he puts over it is just burned away by the wound itself. So he has to cover it in bandages like that. It's, it's a pretty gross picture. Yeah, it's nasty looking. And, you know, of course, Vanessa's like, oh, my God, does it hurt? And he's like, like hell. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, yeah, I think from what the page, uh, I think it's page 12 looks like there where he reveals this. Yeah, it does look like maybe where the palm or the part of the hand was on his head over that eye might I like actually, yeah, like kind of melted and deformed the skin on his face. It's nasty. Yeah. It's, it's pretty gross. Oof. So the Baron's kind of like looking out the window uh, on the next page. I love that page 13. And he says, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you about the difficulties I foresee. Also, I do not believe this is a case I can trust to one of my agents. I'm afraid I must handle this myself. And he says, you may pay me, and advance, Mr. Carter, a hundred thousand. And I tell you, sir, I truly fear this assignment. And that always that that kind of gets my brain moving. And I'm thinking to myself, he's always that you know we've seen, and by seeing a book like a a photo album full of agents, it seems like he's always uh, had no problem having other people do his kind of dirty work for him, and maybe lending an assist here and there, if he needed or when he needed to, right? But he now he wants to get involved himself. And that's a good setup for, you know, what we're going to see down the road. Uh, I think it's an issue uh, 13, but uh, we're going to find out like his origin, which is very interesting. But yeah, this is uh, this is pretty good here. Right. And then he says he's going to get involved and they're like, OK, sounds great, man. It, yeah. And it also sets up how um, foreboding this threat must be, because if you think about what they were dealing with in the first storyline, he was fine sitting at home and <laughs> like it blew up half of Siberia. So you say, mm -hmm. if he thinks he can't trust somebody to deal with this and he has to deal with it, it has to be something even bigger than that threat. Right. So it, it mm -hmm. got my wheels in motion as well. Like whatever this is, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. In the first arc, you know, there had to be at least 20 or 30 people in the Georgetown area killed. And then, thousands in siberia killed so yeah <laughs> that's that's pretty big but this obviously is a maybe some kind of world threatening event here but yeah after it, then the little caption box says after the carters leave and vanessa says baron why call me i thought my abilities were gone and he says you can no longer summon demons my dear but you still have your psychic rapport with evil 
please come with me. We have little time. And that's a pretty funny line there because he knows she can't summon demons anymore, but he doesn't uh, share that information with Jack. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> what a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that. I thought, well, maybe he thinks Jack deserves some of this. So uh, that, that's okay, too. Jack was kind of a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> so they go into this one room here and we know his rooms are all different you know they're all from different time periods and different you know countries cities whatever and they go into this one and he whips out this dress and he's like oh this will fit you and i thought okay so how did he have a dress that would fit her exactly that's a little weird yeah you know um it, it is strange unless he was planning this out all along and i also like the fact that he says when I think of the lovely actresses who once lay in that bed, I, and then he says, oh, oh we have work. <laughs> so, so oh, man. Yeah, he says he bought the bed at an auction. And so I'm like, is he just, he know the history of that bed or did he make history on that bed? Uh, I think, I think the latter, the way that he says it, it, I think that he used that bed with those actresses. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's what he did. He bought the bed and he, uh, he, he broke it in. <laughs> But yeah, that's kind of funny. And I do like too on page 14, that last panel, uh, Merlin looks really cool there. You know, it looks like maybe his one ear is like down a little bit, but otherwise, uh, again, it's tough to draw animals and uh, it looks pretty good there. Yeah, I agree. And then, uh, well, she uh, tries the uh, dress on here and he's like, you are absolutely lovely. And uh, they're like, okay, let's walk through this door here. And they walk through a door to 1933. So this is, you know, months or a year before the uh, opening scene we saw there with the uh, Nazis killing those businessmen. And wow. Gene on page 16 there. That is just incredible. Yeah, that's a great page. And I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think the fruit vendor is Marv Wolfman, who we know has a beard and mustache <laughs> and glasses? Do you think that Gene drew him in? <laughs> it does look like him back then a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but it is it's a great scene because you know like the architecture the car the fruit salesman the signs in front of the theater the way people are dressed it's really really uh it's a great page by colon yeah that's something you know obviously people usually think of gene colon and go to tomb of dracula or even daredevil or something like that but man i'll tell you what this this page is right up there with anything i've ever seen him do yeah yeah really yeah. really nice yeah maybe that is marv peddling some uh what does he got there? Some <laughs> bananas and apples and oranges. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they uh, pop out into the street and uh, uh, she says, I just can't believe it. This isn't a joke, is it? And he goes, no, my dear, this is real. As real as the danger we're here to face. If I've calculated correctly, the Carter's ghost shall be slain later this year. And she says, do we have to think about those things? This is a whole new world to explore. And she's looking at a sign for, uh, you know, a dinner theater kind of place. And he's like, uh, listen, we're not here for uh, shenanigans. We need to uh, get to uh, those guys. And I like this part here where he says, there's like an ice cream vendor. And he goes, yeah, Wait, the guy goes, what will it be? And he goes, uh, Vanessa says, an ice cream soda for me, please. And the Baron says, you heard the young lady. I will take in the pleasures of an egg cream chocolate. Of course, I do believe this is the last year in which the perfect egg cream was made. And I'm like, I've never even heard of an egg cream. Yeah, neither have I. And I think that because of that, like the next page, he actually like does the recipe. There's no egg. There's no cream. It's syrup, seltzer and milk, uh, you know, so it's a little <laughs> bit of an odd, um, you know, I mean, it's like five or six panels of them in the ice cream shop. So uh, it must have been important for Marv at the very least. Um, yeah. 
did you think it was interesting that Vanessa just like rolls with it? Like, you know, this is somebody who's seen major time in a psychiatric institution and she's just like, oh, I guess it's 1933. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's almost like since we've seen her last and that ordeal kind of all ended, she's almost like a different person, like totally snapped out of it. Maybe she's on some kind of medication or something, but she does seem to be very much at home with everything going on around her now. Yeah, yeah. She seems much more confident in who she is and what she can do. Mm. And then, man, that middle panel on uh, page 18 there where you see like an older gentleman, father, grandfather, and he's with like a, a little boy there playing one of the games at the uh, carnival or circus, whatever you want to call it here. That's a really cool panel there that uh, is in the middle of that page. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, there's a Gene is doing a lot of work to set up the the atmosphere and the environment that they're in, right? Every background is filled, right? This is a carnival, there's a Ferris wheel, there's a clown selling balloons, there's a merry-go-round, there's these people playing this game. Like you really feel like you're in, you know, you are at this this carnival. Yeah, and it's interesting. So the Baron and Vanessa walk up to the freak show. And a guy immediately recognizes the Baron and says, Baron, long time no see. How are you? And he says, not bad, Wooly. I have a favor to ask. Get your acting gear for tomorrow. I need a special show after you close to the public. And Wooly says, ah, like the good old days, eh? Baron, you got some sucker bait lined up. We're going to fleece them? And the Baron says, perhaps, Wooly, perhaps. And I'm thinking, what? Like, is that what he used to do, like, for kicks back in the day or what? Yeah, you know, we uh, there are people that we have seen in this book call him a charlatan and, you know, somebody who is a, like a con artist. And maybe that is part of his skills. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. I thought, wow. I mean, I knew he was kind of unscrupulous with how he would use his agents and, you know, kind of like, oh, well, if they died in the line of, you know, so-called duty, then, you know, so be it. But, man, this is like, geez, he's like. That low, that much of a low life that he was using a bunch of carnies to like steal money from people. Like, wow. <laughs> well, that that house looks expensive. So, <laughs> <laughs> got to pay the bill somehow, right? <laughs> exactly. She goes, he knows you, and he goes, he should. I hired him, and she goes, for what? And he goes, I own this carnival. Now, shall we go, my dear? And then they head to sixty uh, seventh and Fifth Avenue later that evening, and we see this very nice, uh, looks like probably a penthouse apartment, and. Where there's a, a woman there named Madeline and a guy named Arthur. And he's kind of uh, saying that, you know, hey, we're not going to be able to go out tonight. You know, I'll take you home. Or my driver here, uh, Anthony, will take you home. And she goes, if I was, dear Arthur, you wouldn't want to know me. Phone me when you're well. Come, Anthony. I wish you drive around the park tonight. So he closes the door. And not, you know, no sooner does he close the door, he uh, turns around and there's somebody in his, uh, uh, looks like a, like a study almost, right? Yeah. Yeah, and this is where, I, again, you've read ahead of me and I haven't. So the first thing was, you know, we know this guy is named Arthur. On the very first page of this issue, the guy who raises the toast is like, you know, all right, Arthur, let's raise a toast. So we know this is one of those guys. And mm. and then we see legs and a hand holding a cane. Um, very specifically, like, in the first storyline, there was this guy manipulating everything behind the scenes for the Russian side of everything, right? There was some uber bad guy that we never saw. Mm -hmm. And he always looked like this, with only seeing the arm and the leg stretched out like this. And I was like, oh, it's that guy. Except it turns out that it's the Baron. 
right? Because, you know, yeah. we see that it's the Baron who is trying to trick this guy, Arthur, into into some sort of, um, you know, to, to try to understand what they're doing uh, and confuse them. Yeah, and he knows all about the uh, way these businessmen are uh, financing Hitler, and he says that Hitler, Hitler needs more money or our plan will fail, much more money. And at first the guy's acting as if he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then he looks at him and he says, I've given everything I had to. And he says, the Baron says to him, everything you had to, sir? No, you simply gave everything you gave. Your money paid for uniforms, for weapons, and for the securing the tragic deaths of Germany's beloved chancellor. We thank you for all you've given. And then the guy says, but? <laughs> he goes, but, Mr. Lane, Herr Hitler is preparing his move into power. We have drafted a plan which includes the taking over of Poland, the bombing of England, and the controlling of La Belle France. You can certainly understand why more money is needed, which, okay, again, if this is 1933, nobody other than maybe Hitler and maybe a couple of his, you know, closer uh, confidants had any kind of idea he was going to go that far. So this is this is pretty wild, right? Yeah, and of course, we know from the 80s that all of those things did happen, right? So mm -hmm. so this is the Baron, I, I guess, you know, um, tipping his hat that he knows stuff, but also um, probably showing that he's in on all of these big ideas to try to gain this guy's trust. Yeah, and the guy doesn't laugh him off either. The guy just says, go on. And he goes, well, sir, Von Papen also wants to have all of our friends meet with me to discuss these funds and our future funding as well. Can it be arranged tomorrow at the quaint carnival out in Queens. And then uh, the butler comes in and says, sir, would you be requiring any refreshments? And the guy says, no, I don't believe. And the Baron, I'd love some brandy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A, a delicious drink. It warms one. Wouldn't you say again? <laughs> I don't know if this is the Baron just kind of like, you know, like making himself seem important to this guy or not. Um, uh, but you know, it's, it is quite funny. Yeah, I love it. He just kind of like, and not only did he invite himself in, now he's just inviting himself to the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he says, now then, sir, is tomorrow agreeable or do I have to tell Von Papen our deal is off? And he says, no, tomorrow will be fine. Everything can be arranged by then. And then he leaves. And right away, this guy goes right to the phone and he calls somebody up and it says, Hart. And he says, Lane here. I just met someone who says he's from Von Papen, that Hitler needs more money. Interesting, especially considering our meeting with Von Papen earlier today. And the guy says, what does he want? And he goes, the meeting is tomorrow at the Carnival in Queens. Interested? And uh, the voice on the, the guy on the other end of the phone says, oh, I'm very interested, Arthur. Very interested. So that's interesting. I don't know if uh, the, the Baron screwed up here and didn't realize that guy had already been to see these businessmen earlier that same day or what? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, that he screwed up. And, you know, in some ways, you know, he hasn't been in the field for a long, long time. Right. So mm -hmm. maybe he's maybe he's like out of practice. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, went a little bit too far. This definitely felt like he messed up. Yep. And then uh, just meanwhile, and he knocks on the door and says, Vanessa, are you ready for the movie? And she comes out. I can't wait, Baron. This is so exciting. How did your meeting go? And he said, I thought we'd relax tonight. And he goes, oh, meeting. It went perfectly, my dear. Our fish have taken the bait. And that's the last page here. So. You know, they're going to go out and have a little fun before the next day when they get down to business. But I did think it was interesting. We know that, uh, you know, this series is not long for this world at this point. It's not until I think next issue that they announce it or maybe it's 13, 12 or 13 that they announce it. It's, it's been canceled. 
Um, but you can see, I feel like you can see right here, even between the script and the artwork, it ends kind of abruptly and it, it didn't have like a the end or continued or anything. Like there's a tiny little handwritten to be continued in the Night Force 12 on sale April 21st at the bottom. But it just seemed very abrupt, not like a normal ending to an issue where you knew this was going to be the cutoff point to another issue. Yeah, it did kind of come out of nowhere. Um, and it's a shame because I have to say, you know, I feel I struggled with that last storyline that we covered. Mm -hmm. But when I read this one, you know, like I loved the first storyline. I struggled with that second one. I read this one and I was like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to read the next one, you know? So you just wonder if they kept to this style of story, if it would have been a little bit more successful. Yeah, I kind of feel like it probably would have. I mean, I don't know if the, if, you know, two and a half issues broke it necessarily. I just, you know, I think by this time, maybe people were kind of getting burned out a little bit with yeah. poor horror books. That could be it, too. I'm not sure. But, you know, the, you look at the letter columns and they're all positive. Everybody's like, we like it, we like it, we like it. And I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, it's a shame. It, it couldn't have either gone on or continued, you know, down the road like it was supposed to. But um, on the very last page of the comic here, I like how it says now on sale. And it's the Brave and the Bold 199, which is uh, the penultimate issue. I think 200 was the final issue of Brave and the Bold. That is right. Yeah. And then there's was the last. Yeah. And it's a Spectre when I actually have that single issue. And then there's an ad for House of Mystery, which is uh, issue 317 when it was uh, taken over by uh, Andrew Bennett. Uh, I Vampire. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I never really read a lot of I Vampire. Is, is it worth tracking down? Yeah, at one point, it's way out of print. But if you might be able to locate it somewhere, like a used copy or something like that, there there was a trade that had everything, all those iVampire stories in it. So I would I would seek that out. I've read a few of them, but not all of them. And they're fun. Yeah, and a lot of it's Tom Sutton artwork, who I absolutely oh. love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good horror artist. So that to me, that's just it's worth tracking down just for that. But yeah, it was almost like DC trying to do a you know, their spin on a solo Dracula, kind of like, you know, Marvel did with Tomb of Dracula, except the characters, you know, very, very different. But it's, yeah, it's there's some good stuff in there. Cool. I'll look for it. All right. Well, if you are ready, we can uh, go on to number 12. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So Night Force number 12, and this is cover date of July 1983. And it's got Gene Colan, but Dick Giordano inks on this cover. So <laughs> you had sent me this cover and another cover from right around this same time. So uh, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, so I'll tell you that, um, okay, this is 1983. I'm a very young Ange, um, and I was reading Swamp Thing, and I read um, Night Force off the rack, the first storyline, and then dropped um, Night Force. And so in the Swamp Thing storyline, he's it's a very religious-heavy story by Marty Pasco, and at one point he faces... Um, the beast from the book of revelations, which is a 10 headed dragon wearing seven diadems. And that's literally the month before this issue, the cover of that Swamp Thing book is Swamp Thing facing off against this 10 headed dragon with seven crowns. And now here we are one month later and we're dealing with the beast from the book of revelations again, this time only seven heads, but clearly seven crowns. This is clearly out of the book of revelations. And so how funny that two DC books within a month of each other, both went to this imagery and that specific biblical, you know, uh, passage. Crazy. Yeah, I'm not sure if this was, you know, kind of the little bit of the satanic panic going on here. So they thought they were trying to push some buttons here to get some sales or or what's going on. I mean, both of these 
comics you're talking about, you know, it's not like they just threw it on the cover to get you to buy the comic and the inside it's a bait and switch or anything. They both are very heavily invested in, like, like you said, like satanic uh, uh, undertones here. So I, I don't know. It's pretty interesting, though, that they did that. I wonder if they were, you know, they were kind of like uh, riffing on each other here, if they both knew what the other one was doing or if it just is, you know, symmetry or what. Yeah, and and I have to feel like you know uh, I first learned about t- the Ten Headed Dragon with Seven Crowns from comic books, and like I was taken to church every Sunday by my family. It's <laughs> such a unique image from the Bible that yeah. that you know um, kids probably didn't know that that's what this was, and this looks different enough from that that maybe you would say like, oh, this looks more like a lion instead of like a hydra which is what the Swamp Thing one does. But now, you know, older, wiser, having read a lot more comics, it's very clear they're supposed to be the same thing. Yeah, and I mean, there's, uh, when you look at, like, I I don't want to offend anybody by saying this, but if you read books, like, in the Bible, especially ones like Revelation, there's, like, that's, like, a a homemade horror story right there if you want to make a comic book or a movie. Yeah, yeah, there's no Yeah, it, like, really is. There's a lot of different spots in there that, you know, obviously there have been movies made, you know, like, direct adaptations of certain stories you know uh, i can't even think of them off the top of my head but back in like 60s and 50s and stuff they made a bunch of them and they're they're that's cool and everything but there are some really scary things that can be made into some really frightening comics and movies and i think there have been some people that have been you know uh i don't know if it was direct adaptations or it was just kind of like taking some elements from it and i think that's what they did here it's it's really cool yeah i completely agree yeah it's like it's a shot of this circus and uh, the, the the background is like all green and all the tents are blue with some shading of black and then there's a ferris wheel right there on the left and there's people scrambling everywhere and we see vanessa and our buddy the baron being chased by this like you said like seven headed it almost looks like a dragon in the back with heads of lions and they all have crowns on them so yeah really creepy yeah and and you know one of the things that we've talked about every time we've talked about the covers is that there, there's usually a very dominant color of the background and this is as you said all green but this dragon is like scarlet red so just pops right off the cover really beautifully yeah yeah really good choices here so all right well i'll just uh, read this little synopsis here from the comics.org site it says the baron sends jack and vanessa to the haunted mansion but when they are captured he is forced to ask for help from katina and i'm gonna call him gowan because i don't know how else to pronounce that g-o-w-o-n gowan gowan yeah Something I think like Gowan, that. Because at first I thought he was going like, go on. But I think it's going <laughs> 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 So, all right. Well, yeah, open up this first page here. Wow. Uh, Mark of the Beast, Chapter 2, Greater Than the Sum and Carnival of Fun in the background. And I do think it's interesting how they start out with, you know, that banner saying Carnival of Fun and a kid eating a hot dog. Like, everything's uh, really cool and great. And there's even a lady hugging a teddy bear that she must have wanted a game. And they, they, they start out with this really like, oh, look at this nice little scene when the crap is about to hit the fan. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've seen enough of Vanessa to know, like, you know, that it could hit the fan at any time. And she's the first balloon you read is, I don't like the way this feels. I sense evil. Can't we go somewhere else, please? And so she's very attuned with this. So, you know, this is a very idyllic scene, but it's not going to stay that way. Yeah, and in the, it's interesting, that balloon, you know, uh, word balloon you just read of Vanessa's. I did think it was interesting that uh, Marv, I'm assuming, and then, you know, obviously the letterer here, or it's, well, I mean, I'm sorry, I totally forgot. Marv Wolfman, writer, editor, Gene Colin Pensler, Bob Smith Inker, Todd Klein, letterer, and Michelle Wolfman, colorist. I do find it interesting that 
instead of it being uh, a sentence that ends with, you know, I sense evil. Can't we go somewhere else, comma, please? It's can't we go somewhere else, question mark, and then please, question mark, like a whole separate sentence as if she's like almost to give you a little bit of an emphasis that she's really like wants to get out of there. Yeah. Pleading, you know. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Baron says, you don't know how much I wish we could, Vanessa. I, too, wish we could return to our time and forget this case ever happened. But it's too late for that. I'm afraid we are committed. And, yeah, he's not kidding. So they start traipsing through the uh, carnival here. And he says, you know, hey, they're going to meet us here, blah, 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 blah. And, again, in the back of his mind, he's bringing these people here because his uh, buddies at the uh, freak show here and, uh, you know, just the carnies in general – Supposedly, are going to be laying some kind of trap for them, but it doesn't quite work out that way, does it? No, not at all. These guys are onto it, and if anything, they've sprung the trap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because at this point, the Baron doesn't know. Earlier that day, when he talked to them, they had already talked to this guy. He was quoting and saying he's a, like a, a, an emissary from him, and they're like, uh, behind closed doors, they're like, yeah, we talked to that guy earlier today. This guy's full of crap. Like, this guy must be you know, on to us. Maybe he's like a federal agent or maybe he's this or maybe he's that. So I think we, uh, we need to get rid of this guy. And, uh, you know, they, uh, <laughs> they do come and meet with him in this little back area and it's just, uh, all of them there, Vanessa, the Baron and these guys. And he says, now then, as I told Mr. Lane yesterday, Von Papen needs more money to finance Hitler. You have been our principal backers thus far, but you have not given us enough. And one of the men, one of the men says, I'm afraid, sir, we do not know what you're talking about. We do not support this Adolf Hitler person. And the Baron says, Mr. Levine, if you are testing me, please do not continue. I do not being I do not like my time being wasted. Either we talk as business partners or and Vanessa freaks out right here. So you like you said, you know, something bad's about to happen. Yeah. And, and physically, she has been complaining as they've been moving through this carnival of like, my guts feel like they're on fire. I, I'm feeling pain. And now she's just overwhelmed by it. And again, every time something weird happens with Vanessa, Marv's language turns like a little bit soft core. Uh -huh. you know? so, yep. so like here, he's like, the sweat glistens on her smooth skin as the pain convulses her stomach. And once she feels the impenetrable darkness of fear and you just <laughs> see her collapsed, lying flat, almost with like a shadow or something falling on top of her. Um, really beautiful page by by Jean. Mm -hmm. I do like I forgot to mention on page two there. I know in that first storyline, there were a, at least two or three issues where, <clears throat> you know, they'd be talking about something creepy and there would be like a, a demonic kind of face in like a puff of smoke or something like that. Yeah. Well, if you notice on page two there, when she's talking to the Baron in the, one of the balloons, there's like this <laughs> demonic face. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I think Gene is just having fun with this book. Yeah, that's really creepy. But uh, yeah, so Vanessa falls to the ground because she's getting the, you know, the, the heebie-jeebies here with her psychic powers that there's some super kind of evil. And then through the tent walks this guy. And he looks like he's uh, like, uh, I don't know if you would say, is he Arabic, I guess? Yeah, I, I put in my notes like Middle Eastern, but it's almost like like Sinbad, you know? Yeah. Or like, or, or like Aladdin, like that's sort of the affectation that he has. Yeah, he comes walking in and says, gentlemen, I am sorry I am late. I was unfortunately detained. You, I assume, are the gentleman who summoned us here. Let me introduce myself. 
I am Alphas Omega at your service. And uh, Vanessa points at him and says, Baron, it's coming from him. Everything I felt, it's all him. And then all of a sudden, Baron, it is over then. Baron, your deception has been uncovered. And all these people go hand to hand and make a circle around him. And they basically say, like, we're going to kill these two people. And you're like, oh, this is not going to go well. And then, wow, you turn the page and a two page, you know, uh, splash here. Oh, wow. This is incredible. Why don't you speak on this? Yeah, yeah. You know, the page before, you know, when they say, you know, they realize that it's the Baron and they encircle them. And we all know, like, magic circles and all that stuff. And then they Mm -hmm. say, recite the unholy words. We who are seven now join as one. Their deaths are now recorded as done. And it's quite obvious. The next page you turn, these guys have fused and become this giant seven-headed dragon that we see on the cover. Huge double page splash um, with this thing just towering over them. And each one of them has 666 on their forehead. They each have a crown on. Um, It's really, really striking and super gorgeous. And I don't, I mean, I think there was a double page spread when we saw the city inside the area, but there hasn't been a double page spread like this that's been more action-based. And this is clearly monstrous. So uh, just beautiful. Yeah, I think there have been a lot of one-pagers and half-pagers, two-thirds, three-quarters, whatever, but not a lot of two-pagers like this in this uh, whole series. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, they, uh, they're they in some deep stuff here. So <laughs> Vanessa yells, Baron, he goes, don't look back. It doesn't matter how close that thing is. We can make it to the portal. Above all, don't be scared. And they run out of the tent, and this gigantic thing comes barreling out after them. You know, And it almost feels like, it should be one of those stories where they're the only ones that can see this, but no, everybody can see this. Everybody can see this. And and I have no idea how they would explain this in the 1930s, but this thing just tears through this carnival. And you just see Gene just does such a great job of showing people running in terror, like they're they're just trying to get the heck out of there. This thing is breathing fire, burning up the main tent. It's It's like kaiju action. Yeah, this had to have been like maybe they would have explained it as mass hysteria or something. But yeah. this this thing had to have killed a bunch of people here. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, they light the main, they light the big top on fire. So they go, yeah. uh, and for those who must die with him, well, nothing can be done about it, right? Like they just immolate this place, and there are people you can just see like under paw. This thing is huge. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. This is like New York City in the first in the first storyline or Georgetown in the first storyline, people are just getting killed. Yeah, and I love uh, some of the Marv's uh, caption boxes here. It says uh, on page nine, the screams come from everywhere at once rising above the creature's fiery roar. This is a time before the great movie monsters, a time before the public became sated with Kongs and Dracula's and Frankenstein's. And I thought, um, no, it hasn't been Marv. Uh, yeah. 1931 is when uh, Dracula and Frankenstein both came out. So that came out two years before this. <laughs> exactly. Maybe there haven't been sequels yet. They're still fresh, but, uh, but yeah. And that and, and the, the panel where that caption is, the mm. caption boxes are at a tilt. The, the panel is at a tilt. People are running yeah. at a tilt. It just really gives an energy to this that it's chaos. Yeah, and that guy in that upper left-hand corner panel, that is like the most Gene Colon person <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like you would never be able to mistake that for somebody else's artwork. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, they go running into the tent here. By God, I think we've made it, Vanessa. A few more steps. That's all we need. 
and they go running into this tent and then this uh, crazy uh, monster, you know, like I said, Kaiju or whatever this is, unleashes this fire and burns the tent down. And <laughs> I love how it does that. And then it kind of like looks around at the people that are running around and fleeing for their lives. And some of them look squashed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like those poor natives in King Kong. Speaking exactly. of King Kong. <laughs> exactly. This thing is just wreaking havoc. But uh, yeah, we and it looks like it's heading towards the Ferris wheel on page 11, like it's going to trash that too. But yeah, yeah. Then uh, we do see that they did get to the portal in time. And she said, is it safe, uh, Vanessa? And he says, of course it is, my dear. No man or beast can traverse time here without my permission. So I thought that was interesting too. So even these magic user, satanic, this and that, they can't come through there without his permission. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it shows, I do think that he... You know, he doesn't mind, uh, you know, property collateral damage um, if if his goals are maintained. Right. So he just they he just like doesn't even comment like I pity those poor people that I just killed. Right. He's just yeah. like, we're safe. That's all that matters. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, they got in the firing line. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> is what it is. But yeah. So Vanessa, she's getting real messed up again, kind of like she was during the first arc with. You know, not feel like feeling physically ill, you know, crying. Her emotions are starting to get the better of her. And he's trying to stay tough. But, you know, you can see by some of the captions and stuff like that, that he's he's trying to act tough, but he's pretty scared here, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that he has to he realizes he messed up and he now has to, you know, he has to, like, get control again. Right. So he's just trying mm-hmm. to figure everything out. I agree. This is the first time that he at least, you know, he doesn't say it, but he looks he's shaken. Yeah, and she says, Baron, please, can I go back to Jack? Can I go back home? I don't want to stay anymore. And he goes, you love him, don't you? She said, yes, I do, Baron. I've sensed you don't, but I do so much. And married life's changing him, really, it is. Jack's settling down. Now he's even writing a book about what happened to us in Russia. And he goes, did you say something, my dear? I'm sorry, but the case, it perturbs me. So he's totally ignoring her. He's uh, totally not listening, right? <laughs> Asks the ask question, ignores her. <laughs> and, uh, and then I love that panel at the bottom of page 12 there, Gene, you know, like a vertical a down shot of his mansion. And then these crazy trees behind it. The one on the left, it almost looks like a creepy hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no backyard, clearly. It's like the forest right abuts it. But it does look it is like being held by something. You know, even the trees on the other side look like other fingers. Yeah, it's wild. And then he says, I, I took it on because of that couple. They merely said their house was haunted. It's more than that, you know. And that beast, I recognize it, yet for some blasted reason, I can't place that memory. I'm very sorry, but I'm not through with it yet. I've got to do something. And he's there uh, petting uh, Merlin and, you know, kind of having a little back and forth with himself and Merlin as well. And I like that one point how he's talking about it. And he says, it began so long ago. Or is it that so long from now? I sometimes forget which, but I have little choice in what I do. I am what I've become. And then he goes, oh, be silent, Merlin. You know that's how she would have had it. And yes, of course, I've forgotten about her abilities. Still, after all that's happened, do you think she'd come to help me? So he's going to enlist the help of some people here. And this is a, this is funny because, again, it's not like your typical schmooze, like just regular people that are just going to be his agents or whatever. But uh, we do see then uh, back in Maine, right? And uh, there's a car speeding up towards the house. And he somehow convinced Jack and Vanessa to go to this insane haunted house by themselves. Yeah. 
Can I go back to the last page just for one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the thing that gets me about that, and again, I haven't read ahead, so so you have a little bit on me, but this whole point where he seems very confused about his own life because he's been in and out of timeline so much, right, that he doesn't mm-hmm. know is this like him, just also made me think, okay, that cover, the the legs, I'm like, is he like the bad guy and the good guy in the storyline? So I'm, I'm ready to see if I'm right because um, – and I get the sense from what you say, I probably am. Um, <laughs> but but that panel, more than anything, kind of made me say, like, it must be a very strange lifeline that he lives, that he's like in the past and the future in the past um, to try to figure out, you know, what has happened before what. Um, so I loved that page. But yes, how he has convinced Jack. Now, Vanessa has just gone through, like, I have felt physical pain because of evil. And now he's like, hey, do me a favor. Go to that place where the guy got his face melted. How did he convince her to do that, right? Like, go to the place we know is haunted by by ghosts that can physically harm you. Um, and she's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get Jack. Uh, very strange. I do like the fact that they say they got paid 10 Gs to do this, though. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. You know, got to pay the rent. <laughs> yeah, Jack's Jack's pretty slimy, so I'm thinking 10 G's. He was like, "All right, I'll do it." You know, if it was for free, he would have been like, "Get out of here!" But <laughs> 10 grand, he's like, "All right, I'll do it." <laughs> but yeah, so they're up there, and then we switch back to the Baron here, and this is hilarious. So he's up in the like tippy top of his house here. I don't know what you'd call that room. It's at the very top of the house, and it's like a tinier room. And he's like, "It's here somewhere. I'm certain of it. I doubt if I would have thrown it away." Achoo, this blasted dust. I need to get a woman in here to clean this ass. (laughs) How about you clean it yourself, pal? Half the time you're doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But then he says, let's see, files from the DeVille caper. Oh, that adventure went well, didn't it? And he's like, oh, here's a reminder of that old battle with that vampire. What's his name? (laughs) So, yeah, I'm thinking again, is this another Dracula reference? Because, again, you know, Vanessa Van Helsing. Um, But he looks... uh, uh, underneath a bunch of crap and he finds the Bible and he uh, starts uh, flipping through it and he goes back to uh, Revelations and then he sees the exact same picture of that beast that tried to kill him and Vanessa, yeah. right? Yes, the the beast, the one who was who answered to the number 666 and it is, it's a dead ringer for the thing that we saw. Yeah, on the cover and earlier in the book too and he says, now what does what the devil does the beast have to do with those businessmen and Adolf Hitler and why do I so fear the answer? And again, switch right back to the mansion in Maine here. And Jack's, you know, you know, playing his normal routine of talking tough and he's got a cigarette and he's puffing away. And Vanessa's just like, you know, uh, this place is creeping me out. You know, Jack's like, we need to get away from here, like get away from the Baron and all his crap. And she's like, no, I can't do that. I owe him so much. Besides, he wouldn't do anything to hurt me. I'm like, um, Vanessa, I don't know about that. (laughs) <laughs> that's true uh the whole first uh, six issues of this story of this book yeah uh, yeah he was he was fine with people doing experiments on you and everything right uh, handing over to uh to um whatever the professor was who put her in the orgy right so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and they're just like you know going back and forth and jack's like i don't care about like this and that let's just get out of here and before they can even move again page uh, i think it's page 18 there Great page, because, again, Gene draws the supernatural and horror things just fantastically. I just feel like it was what he was born to do. And there's this crazy demon at the top of the stairs that won't let them pass. And then here come two more. So now three of them come after them, right? 
Yeah, these are the ghosts of the same guys, right? And and what's mm-hmm. interesting is that they they recognize her, right? We remember you, right? Yeah. If, if you think about it, it, you know, according to the timeline, they're dead within months of when she met him because they died in Maine in 1934. She's back in 1933. So she would be relatively fresh in their mind, even though 50 years have passed. So they're like, you will suffer for what he did to us. You will feel all of our pain. And you're right. It's not only Jean's drawing of these guys who look monstrous. Um, You got to give the colorist um, Mm. as well, because they're a pale blue. It's that phantasmagoric pink that we saw throughout the whole first storyline. Um, it really felt like a Night Force page, um, both yeah. pictures and colors. Yeah, totally agree. Good point. Yeah, Michelle Wolfman, I should uh, definitely be giving her more credit because she does all these this whole last story arc uh, in these last four issues. And yeah, incredible stuff. It does. Again, you know, wouldn't think it's a horror book and it's a scary scene. You wouldn't think pink or purple and this and that would be you know a good match. But it is. It looks great. They they all, the, you know, the pencils, inks and the colors here are all married together fantastically. Yeah, just a great page. Probably the one that, you know, like we usually do the like, what page would you own if you could own any? Probably that one. Mm, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. But all right. So (laughs) as the ghost is jumping at uh, Vanessa and grabbing her, it looks like it's almost going to try to burn her face right away. We switch back to, uh, you know, see what the Baron's up to. And he uh, is reading the Bible and he says, Merlin, you must be wrong. Vanessa and gold can't be. Oh, then we must hurry. If there is time to save them, I will. All right, yes, I'll do it. I'll call her. And then we see Merlin kind of looking at him like, come on, dude. And back to, uh, we see a panel uh, back up in the uh, mansion. And it's interesting how uh, they Gene laid this page out, right? He has, you know, one scene at the top, then two panels in the middle of all these different sizes of the Baron. And then the two at the bottom, instead of it being, you know, two more of, uh, you know, up uh, in Maine, it's one of Maine and then one of the Baron, right? Yeah, you got to follow this along. And that one in, in Maine is, you know, they are, you know, being thrown out onto the balcony that we know is over a cliff, right? She's halfway over the railing. So mm-hmm. this is like a big cliffhanger for that side of the story. Yeah, and I love how the sound effect is crash and it looks like broken glass. That's great. Because yeah, <laughs> they're just tossed right through the window. Yeah, that's really cool. So as they're hanging on for dear life, uh, the Baron is going down a hallway, and he says, "Damn it, Merlin! I don't want to hear your accusations." So Merlin's uh, re- reading him the riot act here. <laughs> so exactly. he goes, he goes into this crazy-looking room here, and I don't know if this is supposed to be some kind of voodoo-looking stuff or what's going on here. But he goes, "How long has it been since I've been in this room? I once swore I'd never return. Well, I suppose she'll have the last laugh, won't she? Do you really think she'll come, Merlin?" And then uh, a caption box says. The smoke billows through the back door, rolling into the darkened room. For a moment, the Baron thinks he sees her image, then decides it is merely a trick of the light. She'll never come. And then we do see a woman in a wheelchair being pushed by a large uh, African-American man. And the Baron says, Katina. And she says, you called my son and me. Of course I came. And she says, I am not one of your agents. Indeed, I've all too often seen what becomes of them. Still, you called and we are here. What do you want? And she's a really beautiful woman. And then uh, the Baron says, help, Katina. Two of my people are in terrible trouble. I need your powers. So pretty interesting uh, thing here, right? Yeah. And and again, it it comes across as they are equals, right? They mm-hmm. um, uh, So I, we've never seen anybody um, 
in like the parapsychological or supernatural world talk to him in this way. Um, mm -hmm. So it definitely sets up a very interesting dynamic between them. Obviously, they have a history that I assume we'll learn about, but um, but it's very clear that that she's not going to take any of his crap or be manipulated by him in any way. Right. And her and this guy know pretty much everything about him, it seems, because the guy says, when have you ever cared for your agents, Baron? How many of them have you sent to their deaths? Do you care for the living? Do you care how many souls you have condemned to hell? And he looks at him and says, go on. I didn't call you to argue. Please, Katina, help me. And uh, she says, Baron, where is Merlin? He is still alive, isn't he? Ah, there you are, my pet. How good you look. And Gawain says, Merlin still loves mother. Return him to her, and then we will talk about helping you. So right in this one page, you now know that uh, Katina is Gawain's mother and that she used to own Merlin. Yeah, and I thought for sure in one of the first issues he said he got Merlin from Merlin. But it makes much more sense for a leopard like this to be from someone from clearly the African continent based upon the way they dress um, and the, that room. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she says then it saddens me now, but it is true. You were such a good friend, Merlin. Uh, very well, Baron, you called me here. What do you want? Cause the Baron said he will absolutely not give Merlin back. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, It's great. But yeah, the Baron's getting all pissed off here. He yells, damn it, Katina, you know what I want. You know, everything. Why do you play with me when there is so little time? So I don't know if she's also a psychic in addition to these crazy powers we're about to see or what. But yeah, how about page 22 here? Why don't you speak on this and her powers and what happens here? Yeah, you know, like, I don't know if we've seen, like, we've definitely seen, like, demons, but I don't think we've ever seen someone like an overt magician. But she just floats straight out of her chair, seems to become, like, incorporeal. She becomes, like, this pale blue, um, like, outline of herself. And then she becomes almost what looks like a skeleton immersed in green and yellow light. The Baron becomes a skeleton in green and yellow light. And then they merge. She says, move closer, Baron. Before I can begin, I have to know the truth. We must join together. So it seems like they merge, um, uh, which is really crazy, right? Like this is the first time I suppose that we saw, obviously, Vanessa do stuff, but she always seemed out of control. This woman clearly is in control. Yeah, and it is interesting because at first I thought she was just in like a, you know, like her, like a spectral form or I'm trying to think of what does a Dr. Strange call it when he leaves his body? Yeah, the astral form. Yeah, so I'm thinking, okay, she's going to go up there and kick butt in this astral form. But then that whole part with the Baron where she's kind of like, you know, there, it almost looks like something to do with him. And then she says, we must join together. But then when you flip the page, there are these really bright lights in this green like wave of, you know, some kind of psychic energy, you know, emanating from it. And then this blam and the Baron kind of jumps back into his body and says, no. And then she goes right back down into her wheelchair and she says, you knew all along, didn't you? You knew of the danger and you still sent them. How could you? And he says, it's not true, Katina. How could I know? And she says, don't lie to me, Baron. Remember, I know the truth. You sent them to their deaths and then you came to me to save them. What sort of monster have you become? And he says, Katina, I'm sorry. I was scared. I didn't know what else to do. Help me, please help, help. And again, he's pleading with her and you don't know how it's going to end. So great cliffhanger. But again, it appears as if, you know, this was kind of uh, maybe not a breaking point that it's just almost like they have a little penciled in to be continued in the Night Force 13. Yeah, yeah. It's a really crazy ending. But but the most amazing thing to, for me <clears throat> is is he's clearly shaken. We have never seen him shaken, mm -hmm. right? And he's like, there are, 
you know, dots and dashes between his words, like, I, I am sorry, I was scared, I, I didn't know what else to do. He's somebody that we have seen be ick in complete control for 12 issues now, mm-hmm. it, right? He's lost it, so... Yeah, he's he's definitely, you know, stuttering, stammering. He can't even get his words out just because he's so frightened. And we're going to find out in the next issue why he's even more frightened than he normally would if it was, you know, uh, any other agent. Uh, so that's uh, interesting. But, yeah, that's where we're going to leave it here with this one. So what did you think of these two issues, the first two uh, parts of this uh, next storyline? Yeah, I really love them. I, like, really love them. I think that this is, like, such a tour de force bounce back from that other story. And, again, I'm still trying to, like, wrap my mind around that other story, but it was just so weird. This just seems like, mm-hmm. like, this is what Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan are supposed to be doing, stories like this. And I do think there's a lot of, there's just so much intrigue about this. There's, like, a Hitler storyline in the 30s. There's, like, the Baron who's who's not in control. He clearly, like, I'm starting to think, is he the bad guy? Um, the art is wild. The horror aspects are really great. Like, you know, I read these two, and and I said, you know, don't run and read the next two. Like, let these sit in your system. And then when we plan the next podcast, read the next two, because I didn't want to I didn't want it to end. Uh, But really Mm -hmm. solid issues. Really, really liked this. Yeah, I read this and I think to myself, how did this not keep going? Like, how did this get canceled? (laughs) You know, it's like it's that good. And I feel like, man, I bet if it was made five or 10 years earlier, it would have kept going for a while. I think it was just, you know. The, the timing for a series like this maybe just wasn't right with what was more popular at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that you're probably right is that this is clearly outside of the DC universe. This is the time when the Legion and the teen Titans and justice league were really flourishing. You know, mm. this clearly is for a niche audience. Um, but boy, I loved these two issues. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to our next recording because these uh, last two issues, you know, it's it's I feel like, you know, Marv did the best job he could to condense things to finish it out with issue 14. So it does seem a little uh, squished together, but it, it does still seem really good. And I, I, I did like it a lot. So I'm really looking forward to talking about those two uh, in the near future. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to talk about it. And I, I can't thank you enough for making me rediscover this series. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, I'm, and, and again, this is really the first, like, cover-to-cover read-through for me. So this is just great, man. I'm loving this. This is I, this is one of those things that, yeah, if I would have saw this, well, I probably wouldn't have been able to buy it or have it at home when I was a kid. But <laughs> if I would have <laughs> read this at a friend's house when I was a kid, I would have been glued to this. That, that, that middle storyline probably would have threw me off a little. But if somebody had read it already and said, don't worry, it gets better or it goes back to being what it was, I would have kept going. And, yeah, it's 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 really good. I think uh, Marvin Jean did a did a really good thing here. Can't agree more. So, all right. Well, that's uh, going to be it for this one. So uh, if anybody's looking to find you out there uh, lurking around, where can they uh, look for you? I'm most active on Twitter at Dr. Ange 70 and I run a Supergirl slash Superman slash Legion of Superheroes site, but mostly Supergirl called Comic Box Commentary. Yep. Fantastic blog. Uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You and uh, our mutual buddy, Martin Gray, I love your blogs because you are very honest about things. Whether you like them, you don't really like them. Uh, you guys uh, very 
much so are, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> diamonds in the rough these days <laughs> because I feel like a lot of bloggers and a lot of reviewers and YouTubers and stuff like that are just, oh, it was great, it was great, it was great, where you guys will say, well, it was pretty good, but I, this could have been better, or I loved it, or I didn't really like it. You guys are very honest, and that's, uh, that's a good thing. I do my best, so I, I'll take the compliment. Thank you very much. <laughs> you betcha. So, all right, well, we're going to get out of here, and then I will be back in a minute to wrap up the show. Jessica. Hi. What are you doing in here? Oh, just browsing. This is my place of work, not W.H. Smith and Son. Here we go. Treaties on the black mass. What do you want with this? Oh, just a quiet bit of mind-blowing. Jessica, this is not a subject to mess around with. These are scientific works. You can buy that sort of stuff in almost any shady bookshop in Soho. I think it's all kinky. What's that? Weird, man, way out. I mean, spooks, hobgoblins, black magic, all that. It seems to me that you delight in deriding anything that is not on your particular wavelength. Our family, Jessica, has a tradition of research into the account. To us, it has been a serious, lifelong study. Okay. But it's not one of my hang-ups. Oh, Jessica, wait. I have a lecture to prepare for tomorrow, but it shouldn't take me more than a couple of hours. It'll be finished by dinner time. As it's Mrs. Donnelly's day off, we might eat out together somewhere. Maybe go to the Montevecchio. I'm sorry. Are you going out again tonight? Mm -hmm. With that gang of yours? We like to call ourselves a group, Grandfather. Just a group of friends, you know? Same age, same interest, same language. Well, can't you bring them here? Let me meet them. You really missed your vocation, you did. You could make the big time as a comic. Bring them here to this mausoleum. Oh, Grandfather, look. If it makes you feel any better, I'll admit something to you. I've never dropped acid, I'm not shooting up, and I'm not sleeping with anybody just yet. The full extent of my wild ways stretches to half a pint of lager now and again. everybody that wraps up this episode once again i want to thank Andrew for being on the show a uh, good guy definitely get out there and check out his supergirl blog and uh, his other work out there he does some guesting work as well so just you know definitely give him a follow on twitter and you'll uh, see everything he's got going on there's a link in his bio to his blog and yeah look forward to uh, one more episode of night force and then uh, yeah we're, we're gonna tackle some more stuff down the road Angie and i we had a good time recording here so even after we finish night force we're gonna do a i think he's gonna come out of brave and the bob you know we're gonna do a crazy episode of uh, supergirl on brave and the bold and then uh we're, we're gonna find some other comics to talk about too maybe some more horror which will be fantastic so uh stay tuned and uh we'll catch you next time